All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. So grateful to be with you once again. Uh, and this is going to be a Twitter Spaces edition of Grizzly Bear Blues Live, another one of these. I enjoy doing these shows, a chance to talk to some folks uh, that maybe usually wouldn't get an opportunity to be on a podcast on the GBB Podcast Network or elsewhere. Not that it's, you know, some big deal or anything like that, but it's just a chance to get the the pulse of the fan, the pulse of folks that maybe are uh, a, a little bit more intertwined with what's going on with the Grizzlies in particular than, you know, one of our usual guests. So no offense to our usual guests, but I do think this is a great opportunity for us to take a look at, as the title of the podcast is listed, the growing legend of John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies, because coming out of game five, that is the major takeaway for me is just how legendary the potential of John Morant and this team is. It's something that followers of the Memphis Grizzlies have quite honestly never seen before, never experienced before. It's on a different level than grit and grind. And, you know, some folks predicted this early, and I was one of those people that said, let's let's see them actually do it. Let's be a little bit patient in terms of how it actually plays out. Turns out uh, it's turned out exactly as a lot of folks uh, hoped it would. And that's a, a big positive, obviously, for the Grizzlies when it comes to what John Morant is capable of. I'm joined on this episode of GBB Live, as always, or almost always, by my wonderful co-host, uh, associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Mr. Parker Fleming. Uh, he is doing a remarkable job being in a position to cover the series for grizzlybearblues.com. He really has been stout as a beat reporter all season long. He's gotten a chance to be... One of the great beat guys, sorry, didn't really say that well. One of the great beat reporters, one of the great uh, minds uh, covering the team that, for GBB that's ever done it. And I say that as a compliment to him um, because he does a really good job in his recaps on Twitter itself. I've just been really proud of the work that Parker's done uh, covering for us at GBB. Parker, how are you doing, sir? Still waiting on Parker. Okay. Still figuring out this Twitter Spaces thing. Forgive me, folks. Uh, so as Parker, there he is. Parker, how you doing? Joe, all good now? Yeah. Sweet. Yes, I can hear you. How wow. are you, Parker? You know, I was already really good, but you really just kind of got my mood even better, giving me all that praise. I gassed, I gassed you up. Did you hear maybe, me gassing you yeah, up? Yeah, maybe a little too hard, but, you know, man, I, I'm doing really good. Really excited to get into this uh, – this topic in particular on the podcast, it's it's something that honestly was just kind of like really, uh, really kind of resonating with me as I was watching that game was exactly your title of it, the growing legend of John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I, I want to, I'll get more into that in a bit, but I really hope you let me get into what is, I consider my brand at one of the highest platforms, the NBA playoffs of Dylan Brooks playing the four, Brandon Clark at the five, small ball basketball prevailed in the, Big comeback. So I'm in heaven, Joe, to be honest. I remember saying that I really liked Dylan Brooks defending Carl Anthony Townsend. I think that that's something that we definitely can get, you know, listener input in and, and that sort of thing. I'm kind of curious as to what other people thought of it. I thought it was brilliant because Cat doesn't really play a style of basketball that makes me worry about him taking advantage of Dylan because he's taller, because he's bigger. And the way that they're double teaming, 
I think John Hollinger might have written about this today for The Athletic. The way that they're double-teaming Cat, does, it doesn't really mean or it doesn't make that height difference matter as much anyway, if that makes sense. You're now in a position where, you know, with the double-team, it doesn't matter that Dylan's undersized. Cat's going to be getting the rid of the ball anyway. So I, I, we can definitely talk more about that. I loved that, and I think the thing that made it work was the fact that Brandon Clark played one of the best, if not the best, games of his career. But we're going to talk more about that and then preview uh, the end of the series one way or another. The series ends this weekend, and maybe another series starts. Who knows? We'll talk about that as yeah, well. Ways to get in touch with the sh- – go ahead, Parker. I was going to say just one more front on the Dylan Brooks on Carl Anthony Towns front is that one thing with Dylan is he gets a lot of his fouls because he's, very phys- he's a very physical defender, and primarily it's on guards – He's a big wing, so, like, if he's physical with somebody on the perimeter, he's going to get called with a foul. He could get away with a lot more stuff being, you know, 6'7", 220, guarding a seven foot two sixty guy. So I think that's kind of like one underrated thing, and that is that it allows Dylan to be even more physical than he already is, which obviously bothers Cat. Yeah, Cat's not ready for that fire, uh, safe to say. He was not quite prepared for what was happening to him uh, at the hands of Dylan Brooks. It'll be interesting to see if that's something that Coach Jenkins – Sticks with ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB live. If you so choose, hopefully you do. Uh, we have wonderful podcasts. The starting five is fantastic. Parker's long view is very good. Uh, GBB live has been around for nine years almost now. So uh, the, the, the flagship of the GBB podcast network, three and D with Ben Hogan, also very solid. Lots of good options on the podcast network. Subscribe on Stitcher, on Google, on Spotify, iHeart, however you get your podcasts, you can find the GBB Podcast Network. Follow Parker on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Paca underscore Flocka, one of the more underrated Twitter handles out there. Uh, I sung Parker's praises, and he deserved it. He's doing a great job for us at GBB, covering on the ground there in Memphis. Uh, You can follow our blog that we are fortunate enough to be the uh, uh, associate editor and site manager, in my case, of uh, Grizzly Bear Blues. Dot com at SBN Grizzlies. We are the Memphis Grizzlies blog for SB Nation. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to make that poor choice at Joe Mullinax. Um, we've got some great folks filtering into the uh, to the spaces. Very appreciative of that. And like I said, if you're interested in, uh, in sharing your thoughts, we'll definitely get to that here momentarily. I'm curious, Parker, since you were there on the ground, I want to start off with the actual feelings there in FedEx Forum. Uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. I got a chance to cover a playoff series for GBB all the way back in 2014. Uh, It was the infamous Mr. Unreliable or whatever it was with Kevin Durant there in Oklahoma City. Um, It was the playoff series where, you know, uh, Donald Sterling, all that stuff was happening with the Clippers. Adam Silver was there in Memphis conducting a big press conference, and I'm there sitting next to Brian Windhorst and, and J.A. Adonde from ESPN. I got a big kick out of that. Um, so I've covered playoff games in Memphis before, a long time ago, but I did it. And from watching from afar, the vibe, especially towards the end, but I would say even you know as Jaw was picking up, obviously starting with the dunk, it really seemed pretty remarkable what was going on in terms of the fan base, which is already very smart, very basketball intuitive in Memphis. It's like they knew what was happening and because they've seen it before. It, literally in this series and then other times throughout the season, these Grizzlies look like they're down and out. 
and then they make a run. They make a rally. It looked like the energy was growing. It was like a balloon filling up with air, and then it just popped, and that was the explosion. Uh, you know, maybe it was the Brandon Clark offensive rebound. Maybe it was a big made shot. Uh, you know, the one the dunk that Clark had or the layup off of multiple rebounds that got the lead down to one kind of stands out in my mind. Maybe the John Morant made three. Uh, I, I'm curious, Parker, what kind of stands out for you most coming out of that game? Obviously, it was a late arriving crowd because of security it was an early start. There's lots of valid reasons for that. It looked pretty filled in by the end. And I think that, you know, there were a lot of things that you could potentially take away from what that game was for the Grizzlies. Yeah, for one, I would like to give a shout-out to the NBA for starting a 6.30 game at 6.30. Shout-out to the NBA. Like it. Never seen anything like it. It might be because Adam Silver was in town for the game. Maybe we'll see. But, uh, yeah, no, the, the crowd definitely really picked up in the fourth quarter. It was almost kind of like the, the entire time the, the, the fans were kind of waiting for that moment. You know, there's a parade of missed free throws and – mysteries in that third quarter where it's just kind of like here we it almost felt like a here we go again kind of moment um i would say but you know the john morant dunk definitely woke up the crowd but it was really when that lead got down to like single that deficit got down to single digits and i think it was like a desmond bang three where you can really start seeing it pick up you know the offensive rebounds the defensive stops and then it just kind of hit a like. At first, I thought it was going to be the apex when John Morant hit that three. Brandon Clark just spiked it out to the three point line, dagger for Jaw. But I mean, my goodness! After that buzzer beat or after that game winner he had, that that might be like top tier whoop that trick chance in Grindhouse history. It was pretty remarkable. I always love seeing out-of-town media, people that aren't as familiar with Memphis when that song comes on, just like the, the fear in their eyes. Like, is this really happening? Is this an actual thing occurring in the year 2022? Yes, it absolutely is. And it's a part of that grindhouse allure that I'm really glad has stuck around. Um, I, we've talked before on the show, Parker. I'm, I'm a son of grit and grind. Like, that is my wheelhouse in terms of the way they played basketball my fandom starting then that is very much what I am passionate about in my memory of becoming a Grizzlies fan so I've been later to saying this team is on that plane because of those memories that bias towards that era it's cool to see the things like that that you know Zach Randolph Tony Allen it made a ton of sense under those guys that, that energy is continuing. They're just changing it. They're tweaking it. They're twisting it. They're making, their, making it their own. And that's really fun for me watching, again, from afar. But I can still see that energy because I've felt it before. I've experienced it before. It's just in a different way, in a different era for this team. And it's really nice that they're embracing that mentality. Uh, the Ja Morant stuff is pretty remarkable. And we'll talk about Ja later on in the show uh, I'm curious as to your take, and you mentioned it a little bit before, Parker, Brandon Clark. Uh, I think that Desmond Bain has been awesome in this series. I'm a big Desmond Bain guy, as most folks know. Uh, to me, Brandon Clark is the MVP of the series, largely because if it wasn't for Brandon Clark, your next best big is who? Kyle Anderson, Xavier Tillman. Jaron Jackson Jr. has not been up to snuff to this stage. 
He's obviously young, and we continue to make those reasons for why he does what he does. Uh, Some people would call them excuses. I still believe in Jaron Jackson Jr. I still think he can be a contributor, and I think that they need Jaron, assuming, which is a big thing to do because Minnesota's played well in this series, assuming Memphis gets out of the series in six or seven, you're looking at a series against the Warriors more than likely that you're going to need Jaron Jackson Jr. He's going to be extremely valuable and viable for this roster moving forward. And then you get to the Western Conference Finals potentially, and all bets are off. You are right at the peak of where this Grizzlies team has been in the past. But since Jaron has struggled so much, they needed someone to step up. And it's been Brandon Clark. And I said it today on Twitter, and I know you remember this because I was there at the Bluff at our draft party in 2019. Brandon Clark was number four on my draft board. It was John Morant. Excuse me, I, I'm... It was Zion Williamson, and it still would be if we're all being honest with each other. John Morant, and then it was R.J. Barrett, and then it was Brandon Clark. And we talked about that at the blog. We talked about it at the part at the draft party there at the bluff. Um, Clark falling, the Grizzlies being able to make that trade up to secure the services of Brandon Clark. It's paying dividends more now than it ever has before, which is impressive to say, Parker, because Brandon's been pretty good, especially his rookie year. He's playing his best basketball now right when the Grizzlies need him to. Yeah. I mean, Joe, you've known for the past past like eight months or so since the offseason, I've been kind of preaching like, hey, like year three could be a bounce back for Brandon Clark because last season was weird. You know, you had a very limited turnaround time with your practices and stuff like that. Uh, Very little recovery time, no practice time per se. So, not a lot of time to get yourself out of a, a slump with practices, but also not a lot of time to recover. He dealt with nagging injuries. And it's just crazy that, you know, he went from somebody who wasn't even a guy in the rotation in the playoffs last year to now probably one of the two to three most integral parts of this playoff series. It's really cool to see. He's been a total game changer. I think one of the things that really kind of stands out and I, I, I'm going to kind of lean into your grit and grind stuff here a little bit, Joe. Is that kind of like heart and grit aspect? Like, Brandon Clark was that five, was the five man that entire, or almost the entire fourth quarter last night. And he's going up against Jarrett Vanderbilt, Carnathan Towns, two guys that are very, very good rebounders for their positions. So it's already a struggle going up against one of them on the boards, but two of them, it's kind of a tall task there. And Clark came away with 10 boards, seven offense, seven offensive rebounds. Like, that's like Steven Adams' numbers in a game. And he just played with such snazzy, flying for loose balls, going for those 50-50 balls. And just kind of like seeing, seeing him, you know, kind of step up in that way, not just from a production standpoint, but from an energy and urgency effort standpoint. Because, I mean, that's what was needed in that game. And I feel like it's been kind of missing this entire series aside from – game two and then that second half or that fourth quarter really of game three is just like when is this team going to flip the switch with their urgency level and really kind of stop playing with their food and it kind of looked like Brandon Clark last night really set the tone and getting that urgency level up so that they're not on the brink of elimination you're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live I'm your host Joe Molinax joined by my co-host associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, Mr. Parker Fleming does a great job covering for us there in person. Our first speaker on the show tonight 
is going to be another person who does a great job covering the Memphis Grizzlies on the on the ground there in Memphis. He just does it for the Daily Memphian. He's the Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for the Daily Memphian. You never know who's going to pop up in the uh, in the spaces. Here is Mr. Drew Hill. Drew, how are you doing, sir? Thank you for joining us on this fine, great day, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, uh, assuming you're listening before Friday's game six. The Grizzlies are up 3-2. The vibes are pretty good, Drew. Yeah. Sorry I'm a little bit late, guys, um, popping in. But, yeah, the vibes are, are good. Up 3-2. I think uh, you've yet to really play well outside of one game in the entire series. Right. So you almost feel like you've gotten away with it a little bit. Um, and now all you got to do is get one out of two, and you got to feel pretty good about the Grizzlies' chances to do that. So, uh, so far, so good, I would say. Drew, you have a unique perspective, even more so than Parker, because obviously the GBB budget is not, you know, like the Lakers SB Nation blog or the Nets or something like that, uh, which thankfully SB Nation NBA started tweeting our stuff again, which is appreciated instead of Lakers things for three days in a row, as uh, Matt Moore, HP Basketball, pointed out. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you actually travel, obviously, for the games, Drew, and I'm guessing you'll be there in Minnesota for game six. I'm curious as to... The differences in energy, a lot has been made of the Grizzlies fans kind of sitting on their hands at times in Game 5. That wasn't the vibe that I got watching the game, but you saw several people that were there maybe alluding to that. Um, You've been there in Minnesota. You've been there in Memphis. You've seen all of these games firsthand. What stands out to you more in terms of why the series is where it is, Drew? Because watching from my couch or my chair or you know wherever I am, I see a Minnesota team – Charles Barkley calls them dumb as a box of rocks. They look younger at times than the Grizzlies, which is interesting because D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, they're obviously not that young. They're young. I mean, I think they're 26 or something along those lines. But compared to Memphis, you know, the Grizzlies are younger in terms of years. Anthony Edwards is the youngest of all of these players. He makes the amazing three to tie it at the end of game five, but then he makes the mistake of trying to create the turnover uh, on that last possession, and that leads to the John Morant-made layup. If you're the Timberwolves, you live with that mistake because you're the seventh seed. They're kind of playing the role of what the Grizzlies were last year against the Utah Jazz, just doing it better than the Grizzlies did. I'm curious as to what your perception of both teams, both cities, the energy about this series, uh, now heading back to Minnesota. You alluded to it. Memphis is fortunate, really, to be up three games to two. Is that indicative of how silly, maybe there's a better word, the mistakes of the Timberwolves have been? Or is that a sign of how good the Grizzlies are that, as Parker put it, they can play with their food and still be up 3-2 on this team? It's it's really something that they're lucky to be in that spot. I think it's a combination of those two things, probably. Um, Because when you look at, I guess, the way that the series has gone so far, I I entered the series thinking that like three point shooting by the Timberwolves was going to be the variant that could impact the series. I was I I said I thought it would go six games. Um, I I could have seen it going seven games simply because nobody shoots more three pointers in the NBA than the Minnesota Timberwolves, and if they make a whole bunch of three pointers in a few of the games, then obviously they're going to have a really good chance to win. Um, now in, in two of the games, you've seen Minnesota make a bunch of threes, 
Memphis was fortunate enough in uh, in the in game four to be in it because Desmond Bain also hit a bunch of threes that got the game close, you know, by the end. Um, but to me, that that's really where this series has, I guess, sort of divided. It's not so much who's playing dumber than the other because I, I, while I've seen Minnesota take some really terrible shots down the stretches of some of these games, particularly game three and game five, and it, like Minnesota's proven they can make bad shots. Anthony Edwards makes bad shots on a consistent basis. That's what they've done all season long. To me, the variant has always been Minnesota's three-point shooting. And I just didn't think that they were going to have four games where they shot at lights out and, and they were going to beat the Grizzlies because Memphis is far and away better in almost every aspect uh, besides that. So as long as Memphis shoots it okay from three-point land, they got a chance to win every single game. Um, I think Memphis will close the deal here. Uh, as far as the atmosphere goes, it's been great in both buildings. And Minnesota obviously was really hungry because they hadn't had a playoff team in a long time. But also, when you go up there, it's almost surprising that like, you don't see Minnesota stuff anywhere. You'll see people in Vikings gear. You'll see Twins stuff everywhere. But you don't really see any, like, people walking around. I mean, you see a few people walking around in Timberwolves gear, but you don't see the signage up around town, none of it. So, to me, that was a little interesting. But the atmosphere was great. Uh, obviously, inside Target Center, it was raucous in both games. And uh, full disclosure, I was not at Game 5. Little health and safety protocols thing. Uh, oh, I'm good, though. I'm good, well, I'm no. glad to hear I'm you're good. okay. No I'm sorry I missed that. Yeah, no worries. No worries. No, I'm all good. Um, but just being careful. And uh, But I've, I, I did see Desmond Bain and Brennan Clark call out uh, the crowd saying that they wish that they would be loud all 48 minutes consistently. Um, and to me, that was interesting. So I ended up writing about that. But no, I was not in the building for game five. I'm sad I had to miss it. But better to be careful. I'm not going to go into all the details, but better to sure. be careful uh, <laughs> and, and not spread COVID around. Uh, yeah, don't NBA do that. Don't do time. that. So, yeah. Dr. Uh, just, Fauci just might see the pandemic is over, but we still need to be safe. Uh, I, yes. I think that's fair to say, Drew. Uh, so hopefully everything's okay with you on that end. Sorry to hear that. Um, and hopefully, you know, you're back there in person as soon as possible. And I know that you're a busy guy. So thank you, Drew, for stopping by the spaces. It's much appreciated. And uh, make sure you're following Drew if you don't already do so at Drew Hill underscore DM. Does an awesome job for the Daily Memphian. Much appreciated. Everything he does covering the Grizzlies. And we got some some more folks, Parker Fleming, coming in to the spaces. Uh, I see Shy there. We'll bring her in here momentarily. But first, we're going to go to Michael Cole, uh, the beat reporter for the Commercial Appeal. He's been on GBB Live before. And just to tell you, Mr. Cole, once you are on GBB Live multiple times, that officially gives you friend of GBB Live uh, swag. You'll get a free T-shirt. You'll get a million GBB bucks. Uh, you're a friend of GBB Live. Congratulations, sir. How are you doing, Mr. Cole? What's going on, guys? What's, what's, what's up, Joe? What's going on, Parker? How are we doing? Yo, what's up to Michael? Doing good, well, man. Doing good. Well, I appreciate you hopping on with us, Michael. I know, uh, like I said to Drew, I know you're busy, so it'll just be a few minutes of your time. I'm curious as to you again, like Drew, you've had a chance to travel, see both teams, uh, 
Jaron Jackson Jr. is somebody that stands out as an issue right now for the Grizzlies. Foul trouble continues to rear its ugly head. I think he only played 18 minutes in game five. In my report card over at grizzlybearblues.com today, I gave him a D minus. And that was probably the grade that I struggled with the most because I, I watch him play and I see how impactful he is when he's on the floor. And the numbers back that up too. He's just so strong defensively. But at the same time, he can't stay on the floor, and it's silly fouls that are costing him, whether it's defending Torian Prince and you know, trying to jump up on a, on a pump fake, whether it's you know, being in a position to face guard Cat and just get a hand in his face on a three, but he slaps the arm. You know, it's things that in year four for him, you would imagine wouldn't be the issues that they are. Are we too hard on Jaron, or is it time now is his payday, his raise is about to kick in? You know, it, it's the right time to be hard on him, and we need more from Jaron. No, it's it's the right time to be hard on him for sure. And I don't think it's just you know us; it's his teammates too. They're they're brand pretty hard on him just before the. I game. saw that with Brandon Clark. Yeah, yeah exactly. Brandon Clark. Uh, it's you know, I mean, Ja. It's you know, Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain kind of talked about in the shoot around before uh, Game Five how. You know, a lot of the players have said their little bits bits to him just about, look, you know, he knows they need him. Like you said, Joe, uh, the numbers back up uh, how much they need him. But uh, it's the foul trouble that's kind of limited him in this series. And we see how important he is when, he out there, when he's out there. I mean, the first half, I mean, those first few minutes of the game, he looked so good. Like, I, I was thinking this might be the game for him. He comes out, he has five points, three rebounds, you know, off the bat. And it's like, okay, this might be the game. Then the two fouls come, and he only plays 18 minutes, and he fouls out, you know, midway through the fourth quarter. So, yeah, it's not just us being hard on him. Uh, His teammates are hard on him. And I think, you know, he's responding in certain ways. Now he has to kind of put it all together. So what I mean by that is it's like he's taking the accountability, talking to him after the game. You know, he knows what he has to do defensively, show hands, do things like that. He also knows that, you know, the Timberwolves are a great team at taking charges. This was something that he mentioned before game four, and I thought that was interesting because we haven't talked about that a lot. But Jaron Jackson Jr. pointed it out, and it was true. And that's been a lot of his foul, offensive fouls and things like that. So he talked about just uh, moving a little bit, you know, just thinking, being a little bit more smarter with his, you know, you know, movements throughout the game on the offensive end. So I think he's kind of getting the idea, but I mean, we're, we're at game six now, so I don't know how much time he has left to figure it out. Not much time at all. And he's someone that, again, the team is so dependent on. Brandon Clark has been amazing, but you can't expect this to continue. Uh, Desmond Bain and Brandon Clark being your two best basketball players over the span of five games. That's not a recipe for championship basketball, which this team is as aspiring to play. Uh, I'll get you out of here on this, DeMichael, because I know you're, you're busy just like everybody else. And that's one of the nice things about spaces. you got all sorts of guests. You can move in, move out. Um, and I'll follow up with Parker after I'm done with DeMichael. Uh, the, the fact that Coach Jenkins has played so many different styles of trying to figure out how to replace Steven Adams, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. Andrew Tillman, whether it's Brandon Clark, whether it's Kyle Anderson, you know, there's been all sorts of different kind of fits and pokes and prods. Uh, the GBB live question of the day for our show this week 
was who should start game six next to Jaron Jackson Jr. And the options were Xavier Tillman, Kyle Anderson, uh, Brandon Clark, and Steven Adams. You know, maybe you give him another look, uh, which probably isn't the best idea because Carl Anthony Towns still exists, but I digress. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, Michael. To me, it comes down to Kyle Anderson versus Brandon Clark. I like the idea of rewarding Brandon yeah. for being so strong as a player in this series. But at the same time, I've seen Brandon Clark start games before, and he hasn't really been very good at it, if we're being honest with one another. Kyle Anderson is that veteran. He can create, facilitate, be another creator off the dribble for jaw if they're being aggressive with him defensively. And you still have Brandon Clark. He can still play starter minutes, of course. 30-some minutes is what Clark should get. But he can do it off the bench and kind of give that energy punch uh, if Memphis needs it. So where do you kind of stand on that, DeMichael? Or do you have more of an opinion of what you think Coach Jenkins will do? Because Xavier Tillman, I think, has started the last couple of games. Right. That, that probably shouldn't continue. Yeah, and I mean, that's what I think he's going to stick with. I think he's going to stick with Xavier Tillman. But just going back to your point, you know, just about the different options, I honestly don't think they're even considering Brandon Clark as a starting option. And it has nothing to do with play. It's right. more about – it's it's more of a Jaron Jackson Jr. thing. Right now – you you just can't trust Jaron Jackson Jr. to stay in the game long. And, you know, Taylor Jenkins is, is big on rotations. You know, Parker, you hear him talk about it a lot. And the thing about the big rotation is right now when Jaron Jackson has those two fouls, I mean, most of the people listening on here know uh, you can kind of breathe easily when he has two fouls knowing that Brandon Clark is coming into the game. But if he starts – he's probably going to be more susceptible to getting in foul trouble. And not only that, and if you if you have Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. in your starting lineup, then your backup bigs are Xavier Tillman and Kyle Anderson. And quite frankly, you're just not going to get a lot of scoring uh, from them together. So you kind of basically mix and match Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson. And, you, you know, you do what most good coaches do at the end of the game. They're both going to be in the closing lineup. But you kind of piggyback and, you know, stagger them throughout the game. Jaron Jackson's in the game. Brandon Clark's in the game separate times. Sometimes they play, you know, together. But at the end of the game, they play a lot of minutes together. So I don't think Brandon Clark right now is a starting option because you just don't want to risk the 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 chance. At, at this point, you almost have to assume that, you know, that Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be in foul trouble. He's been in foul trouble in five consecutive playoff games. You almost have to assume it at this point. So if you assume he's going to be in foul trouble, if you start Brandon Clark, that's that's risky because if you take those two bigs out the game, um, it's probably not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. So I think that's the main thing there in terms of Brandon Clark, having him in this reserve role. And, you know, it's just a title at the end of the day. You know, started uh, coming off the bench. It's just a title because he played 37 minutes in game five. So he's going to play starter minutes. It's just he's not going to start the actual game. Now, uh, I think if I was Taylor Jenkins, I would start Kyle Anderson. I still, like I said, I think he's going to start Xavier Tillman because he doesn't want to overthink this. Xavier Tillman has actually had some decent minutes, you know, against Carl Anthony Towns in stretches. But from what I've seen and from what we saw really late in game five and the best success against Carl Anthony Towns, not just in this series, but this season has been when teams have versatile fours, uh, power forward guys, you know, long wing defenders who when Carl Anthony Towns, we see him get the ball a lot. He gets the ball in that top of the key and he takes those slower big men off the dribble 
with the Grizzlies, uh, if you put a, a guy like Carol Anderson off him, you limit his ability to get to the rim, you know, by just dribble penetration. He has to play bully ball. And when he plays bully ball, it takes him longer to get to the rim, which makes it easier to bring the double teams. And that's been the most success in this series against him. That's been the most success, you know, when the Clippers played in the play-in, they guarded him with Nicholas Batum, who's much smaller, but he had success because, you know, Carl Anthony Towns couldn't just beat him off the dribble, but he could beat him, you know, with strength. But when he put his back to the basket, as soon as he turns around, help is there, and you put him in, you know, dangerous situations where you can cause turnovers and things like that. So at the end of the day, I think if we see more Kyle Anderson, uh, we saw late in the game Dylan Brooks did a great job. Go back and watch the last. Great job. Great job. Last five, six minutes of, of game five, it go, goes back to my point. If you have a guard, a wing, who's willing to be physical, now, you know, that's a task. It's easy for us to say, but at the end of the day, you're asking, you know, a guy much smaller than Carl Anthony Towns to bang with a guy who's 6'11", 240, and he's strong. So it's easy for us to just say, hey, just throw a wing guy on him. But, I mean, that's a that's a beating physically that they're going to take. But Kyle Anderson, I think, is your is your best matchup from that perspective, being that, you know, you can take away the three-pointer a little bit more. We saw, I mean, I think Carl Anthony Towns made his first four three-pointers uh, in this last game. So you, you kind of can contest the three-point shot a little bit better with a guy like Kyle Anderson because he'll be able to recover a little bit more when Carl Anthony Towns, you know, drives the basketball. Whereas with those big men, uh, he beats them off the dribble. It's either he's going to get fouled or someone's getting a super wide open shot. And, I mean, Drew mentioned this team makes the most three-pointers in the league. I mean, that's what they want. So I would personally, I think the matchups are, you know, guys like Kyle Anderson. Um and you bring help, you know, you don't just leave him one-on-one on an island. You bring help to help him out. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to he's gonna stick with the starting lineup, of starting Xavier Tillman. But again, you know, with starting is just a title, you know, in this series for the most part. So Xavier Tillman might start on him, but a guy like Kyle Anderson could get more minutes on him. Brandon Clark could get more minutes on him. And those matchups, I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to happen. But I think he's still going to stick with the same starting lineup. DeMichael Cole is fantastic. If you don't already follow him, at DeMichael C. He's the beat reporter uh, for the Commercial Appeal. And then also, this is the first time that I believe we've had you on since you joined our mutual friend, Sean Coleman, over on Locked on Grizzlies. So congratulations to you on that. You and Sean make a great pairing, and you guys do phenomenal work over at Locked On, and then obviously the commercial appeal to Michael Cole. Fantastic. Thank you for hopping on with us, buddy. I appreciate you. Appreciate you, Joe. No problem. Parker, same question to you. The idea of uh, who starts next to Jared. DeMichael gave a fantastic breakdown, I think. <laughs> I don't know how much you need to say more. That was fantastic from him. Um, but your take on – I would start Kyle Anderson. That's what I do. I think DeMichael is correct that it's going to be Xavier Tillman just for the sake of ease – but only seven players played 18 or more minutes in Game 5. Xavier Tillman was not one of those seven. I kind of foresee that being the situation again where, you know, it's Jaron, Ja, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, Tyus Jones, uh, and then a couple other guys off the top of my head. I'm having a brain fart here. But you get my point. that You play your best yeah. players, and I think that that's what's going to happen. Xavier Tillman's not one of their seven or eight best right now. Yeah, and, you know, I, I like Xavier Tillman. I really do. 
But I don't. I just kind of had a little bit of an unease of uh, starting a guy in the playoffs who hasn't been in, in a healthy rotation in this calendar year. Um, that that just was kind of like, ah, oh, okay, I understand. Good game too, but you know, I would I would start Kyle to be honest. He can guard Cat, but also too, let's say if you decide to actually go with that Dylan Brooks uh, matchup on Cat. You could put Kyle Anderson on Anthony Edwards, and you be you survive. Like you can, you could do kind of well doing that. I would think, but I would start Kyle. And I at this point, with who's shown me, who's shown I I don't actually that sounds really entitled to say who's shown me this, but just of who has just seen who's performed so far, I am leaning going seven. And you have an eighth or a ninth in spots of like, okay, we need to – like, for example, if they wanted to throw Steven Adams in those Nas Reed minutes, which, I mean, those might only be like four minutes because Minnesota's a do-or-die time. Cat may play 44 minutes on Friday night. Throw Steven Adams in there. Or if you are, have some foul trouble with Dylan Brooks or Desmond Bain, throw uh, D'Anthony Melton or Zaire Williams in there. Honestly – my main option, I would go more Tyus minutes, especially with you know how Jaw's been kind of shaky on his knee. I would, I would give Tyus Jones the first perimeter player off the bench, uh, guard or wing. Um, but there should really only be seven guys playing the bulk of minutes outside of spot minutes. That's Jaw, that's Bain, Brooks, uh, Kyle, Jaron, and then Tyus and BC. I, I obviously you know. BC's played awesome, but you also don't want to lose that that one knockout punch that you have on the bench. You don't want to give that up, you know? Like, if, like that's kind of where I fall. Just stagger it, you know, it's the playoffs. Play your best guys. Uh, that's kind of where I fall. And Kyle does deserve the opportunity. He's played well in this series himself. He's been timely with his offense, his defensive versatility, switchability. You know, he can defend multiple spots on the floor. He's not as fleet of foot if he was ever fleet of foot. Uh, He's definitely not as quick as maybe he once was. I think he's a big at this stage. Uh, He's a four or five, but this series is made for him. You know, several players on the Timberwolves kind of line up with a a frame and a a body of work that make a lot of sense for uh, for Kyle to defend. Uh, So thanks again to Michael for joining us and our guest right now. I have several other folks that have asked to uh, speak. We'll do that in the second segment. We're going to finish up segment one with the great Sharon Shy Brown at Sharon Shy Brown on Twitter. Grizzlies beat writer for the Memphis Flyer, uh, the Believe in Grizzlies podcast. She is grinding right now. I've been very impressed with the work that she's been putting out. Make sure you're giving her a follow, checking out everywhere that she writes. Uh, Shy, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. I appreciate you coming on the spaces. It's always good to chat with you, of course, and and talk about this team that you know so well. Uh, I'll get your take on what we were just talking about real quick in terms of, you know, I think we can all agree that it doesn't necessarily matter, right? Who closes, who ends, who gets the most minutes is most important. It's just a fun poll question to ask. And I think that the the interesting thing that Parker mentioned is the non-cat minutes when it's Nas Reed and Towns isn't out there. Uh, in game six, it might only be five or six minutes. But Stephen Adams, you know, I, I think John Morant misses Adams more than folks really realize in terms of the screen assists, the way that he uses his body, the additional facilitation that Adams can provide from that high post position. 
Uh, how do you feel about that Xavier Tillman starting? Do you really care? Is it more Kyle and Brandon for you? Do you think there's a spot for Adams in spot minutes? How do you kind of foresee that big question moving forward? Okay, um, I sort of um, agree with DeMichael. Um, but I do think that Steven Adams should get playing time. I think he should probably come in like with the bench unit, like when um, Carl Anthony Towns is not there, because he still can give you rebounding and offensive rebounds. And, um, you know, he can do the screen assist for Jaw or whomever. But I want to talk about something else. I'm sorry. I want to talk about the leadership of Kyle Anderson and Steven Adams last night during the game. They reeled those young guys in and they showed that veteran leadership that people think the Grizzlies need. Because during the timeouts, when the coaches was in that little huddle, Steven Adams was doing the talking and Kyle Anderson was too. And they calmed those players down. And I think that's what helped them win that game. Yeah, I think that's a great point, actually. And that's one you hear the lack of veteran leadership kind of conversation often. I think that's a fair point. Kyle Anderson, especially. Uh, I agree with you on Tyus as well. Tyus is just. No, 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 no. I said Steven Adams. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I misspoke. Yeah, Steven, my, my Steven Adams, he was there. Um, he reeled him in. He was consoled. He was talking to Jaron for a minute. Right. And then right, right. I, was, I, was, I was watching. And I, I was watching. And, you know, it's just like he, 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 those guys, they was looking sad, but he was doing, he was doing all the talking. And I think that's what's helped them win that game. And that's the veteran leadership that people said that they they need, but they already have it. Sure. No, that makes total sense. And I think that what I was trying to say with Tyus is that steady hand of that veteran. But with Kyle and Steven in particular, you see it in their verbalization, their vocalization. You can tell that Kyle is is active in those huddles. You can see him on the floor. He's trying to get those guys' attention. Steven Adams has been very engaged. You're exactly right. Uh, he's been a consummate teammate throughout this essentially benching uh, for this series. I think that Memphis understands that they're going to need Steven Adams, a theoretical Golden State series. You know, Steven Adams is probably going to be needed there. I think that he is a vital piece of what they're trying to do still. And the fact that he, you know, I, not to bring up old wounds, I don't know that it would have been that easy to do this to Jonas Valanciunas, if that makes sense. Jonas, not not to discredit the mentality of Jonas, and it's hypothetical to say the least, but because of the usage rate, because of how involved Jonas would be in the offense, it would not be as seamless a move to go away from Jonas as it has been to go away from Steven Adams. So I think that's a credit to him, and you make a great point there, Shy. I'll get you out of here on this. Just kind of curious as to your takes, because like you said, you've been watching the players interact with one another. You've seen everything that's kind of been playing out to this point. Going into game six, how confident are you that Memphis can kind of close this thing out there in Minnesota? We know that crowd's going to be wild. Drew and DeMichael have both said that the target center was uh, pretty intense. But we've also seen them make pretty fatal errors there in the target center, just like they did in FedEx Forum. How do you see this series playing out, Shy? Um, I don't think that Ja wants to let the, I don't think he's going to let the team lose because he said he's tired of being behind. And if they give him the alley, he's going to do what he did in the fourth quarter. He's going to take over. If they give it to him, you know, thanks to Patrick Beverly for waking him up. Yeah, he definitely woke him up. That dunk and, and the subsequent, you know, playoff record essentially for points in a quarter. 
uh, there when the Grizzlies needed him most were definitely evidence of that. So Pat Bev is kind of the king of premature celebration, and uh, it definitely benefited the Grizzlies there. Again, folks, make sure you're following her on Twitter if you don't already, at Sharon Shy Brown. She's fantastic. She's been putting out lots of great work. Um, very, very happy for her, all of her success, and I hope it continues, uh, Sharon. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. I appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you, ma'am. When we come back on Grizzly Bear Blues Live, we're going to get to our other favorite guests on this Spaces edition of the podcast. Folks that are just fans, folks that are, you know, like obviously we're all fans, but people that are enjoying the games, that are watching this team, maybe they're frustrated by some of the struggles. Uh, Maybe there's other things that they want to talk about beyond just the topics that have been discussed in this segment. It is going to be a part of GBB Live driven by you coming up next you're listening to grizzly bear blues live don't go anywhere welcome back ladies and gentlemen to grizzly bear blues live i'm your host joe Molinax, joined by my co-host mr parker fleming associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com the site uh the blog on the memphis grizzlies for uh sb nation parker you have anything you want to add before we get to this next segment yeah for sure i do uh so i alluded to this earlier in the show uh, right in the intro, talking about the the title of this, the growing legend of John Morant and the Memphis sure. Grizzlies, and I, I think tonight was or last night was Jaw's first signature playoff game, signature playoff win. You know, you have all those moments for a lot of people. I know Bill Simmons uh, infamously, obviously, uh, compared the John Morant dunks like the Tom Chambers or uh, KJ dunk from like the nineties. Uh, but that game winner too, and that kind of everyone has those. Every star or, or superstar has those like signature moments, those first signature moments. For me too, that come off the top of my head are is that LeBron James fadeaway three against the Orlando Magic, and then the Luka Doncic step back three in the bubble. Those are two that kind of stand out to my mind. I think Jaw, like when we kind of look back at you know his career, his legacy, and stuff, this is going to go down as one of those first games. I mean, look. 2-2 series, you're at home, you're down 13, and you just answer and have 18 points in the quarter and score the team's final 13 points. And it's not even to the game winner. I mean, he had possessions where he had some very strong possessions on Anthony Edwards. And, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves were targeting him defensively. They've done so all series. When it comes to just Jaws greatness and stuff, this is just one of those – this is one of those games that you're going to look back on. It's like – that's like his first signature playoff win. And to kind of just be in the building for all that, super surreal, man. Uh, that's all I really kind of wanted to add, add on that front, to be honest, before we let the fans speak. You're welcome, Parker. You're welcome for the – no, I'm just kidding. Just, just being a jerk. Uh, no, it, 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 you're exactly right. I think you nailed it. That was uh, a quintessentially superstar performance on the on – the, same plane as the guys that you mentioned. That's one of the reasons that it was so special. But as Parker alluded to, now is the opportunity for others in the Twitter spaces. We've had tons of folks coming through. Thank you to Shy. Thank you to, to Michael Cole. Thank you to uh, Drew Hill. We've had several folks come in, chat with us. It's much appreciated. But now we're going to let 
kind of be an open mic, at least here for a little bit. I'm old and, and washed and I can't do this all night, but I think we can take several requests in terms of wanting to chime in and be heard on an episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live or whatever that's worth. Uh, the first person that I have here in our requests is uh, Cutest Boy in Four Counties, which is impressive. Um, I'm not even the cutest boy in one county, so uh, I think Joey Positivity has a lot going on for him there. Uh, and I'm interested to hear what Joey has to say with those positive en- with that positive energy. Uh, Joey, what do you got going on? What do you have for us here on GBB Live? Hey, Joe. Yes, Joey. Um, yeah, this is Joey Kagey. Um, I'm a big, yeah. big fan. Um, huge Grizzlies fan, and I appreciate the chance. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to throw out there that um, I appreciate the fight that our Grizzlies have and the, the fight that they've shown, even not playing the best that they've played, you know, of course, obviously. And even with the, um, you know, the, the pace of the game being slowed down by all of the, the fouls being called, everyone's discussed that. Um, you know, they've fought through and they've, they've been, you know, they've shown their version of grit and grind. They've shown their version of, like, never give up, you know. And I think I heard someone on 929 talking about that earlier today. I can't remember if it was who, whoever it was, but – you know, I, I, I do appreciate that from this team uh, because, you know, when it seems like, you know, you're down 25 twice, you know, like they just kept coming. And and then when you're down in, you know, game five, um, you know, down double digits in the fourth quarter, they just kept coming, you know. And, um, and I really appreciate that. But I want to s- s- chime in on something that Shai said. Um. And it reminded me of something that a friend of mine, Josh Roberts, who's a big Grizzlies fan, uh, tweeted uh, in, re- in, re- in regards to Stephen Adams. Um, <clears throat> I do believe that he, he does bring some leadership to the team. Um, now, as far as his deficiencies on guarding on the perimeter, you know, with, with, with Cat, like shooting threes and stuff and then trying to drive on him, you know, there, you can debate that or whatever. But um, one thing that, that Josh mentioned on Twitter earlier <clears throat> that I thought was interesting um, is that whenever Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson are on the court, Jaron gets less fouls because Steven takes more of those bullets down low. And I think that, I don't know, you know, I'm, I, I'm not an expert, uh, you know, I'm not a coach. Um, I did play basketball all growing up or whatever, and, I, and I'm a huge fan. But I think that there might be something to said to be said for um, Stephen Adams taking up some of those fouls that Jaron might get guarding Cat early on. Um, now we can you, you guys can talk about that or whatever, but I mean, I just think that that's something that we can we can we can ask, you know, because you know, of course, we all want to see Jaron on the court as much as possible. Um, and later in the game, I think when he gets into the flow, I think he does better. I think early in games, he kind of presses with the fouling issues. Uh, so, I don't know. I just want to throw that out there, and then I'll just listen. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate you chiming in, and thanks for following and, and all those fun things. That's a, a really good point there on Stephen Adams. Parker, I'll bring you in on that, too. The idea of Stephen Adams being good for five fouls, right, or six fouls, just being there to kind of take the bullet, so to speak, uh, in, in terms of the physicality. I think that's a fair and interesting question. 
I I am curious as to your take on it because again you've seen Steven uh, throughout the series you've watched him obviously throughout the season uh, I think that that's an idea that makes a lot of sense in theory but it, it's almost like when you watch the Timberwolves trying to purposely attack Jaw off the dribble right like part of their game plan is clearly they don't value Jaw Morant as an on-ball defender. And Jaw did better in Game 5, I thought. He had some lapses still. But I thought there was, uh, and there, were, there was evidence of growth in that area, at least to me, watching Morant play in terms of his lateral movement, staying in front of ball, uh, dri- ball handlers and dribble penetration. Um, I just feel like the Timberwolves would try to exploit an Adams-Jaw Morant pick-and-roll situation I feel like the idea of it is sound, and if it were could be executed properly, there's space for it. I just don't know after watching this team for five games that they're capable of executing it, Parker. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously after game one, I wrote about the Adams situation. I uh, I talked I talked about just the different nuances of that situation, how the Timberwolves were exploiting him and stuff. I kind of thought that the pulling the plug that quick was a little premature, especially since, you know, the Timberwolves are playing Nas Reed a lot. And, like, Nas Reed can shoot and all, but he doesn't have nearly as the, the, the four game like Cat or anything. He can't like, get think, there off the dribble. He's very no, limited. You, you can, And also, too, that's another guy – or Adams can destroy him on the offensive glass. And it's important, and, you know, we might have to have this conversation again. Uh, about Steven Adams um, in the next week or so. But, I mean, why not, you know, take away some fouls from Jaron. But also, too, just kind of be the enforcer. Because, I mean, we saw, you know, especially in game two, uh, the Timberwolves tried some um, ticky-tack stuff on on Ja. So, kind of have Steven Adams there as an enforcer. I mean, why not? I mean, that's kind of how I see it, right? He he has six fouls. He's a big body, and he's – I mean, you saw that one screen that uh, I think Rob Perez reshared it from like 2013, 2014 uh-huh. playoff series. Everybody knows that Russ and Pat Bev beef. And then there's that one play where Adams just like flatlined Beverly on a screen. I've been waiting for that all series, to be honest. I'm pretty disappointed we haven't gotten it yet. Well, you got to <clears> be on the floor to give those kinds of screens. What were you going to say, Joey? Exactly. Oh, um, thanks for chiming in, Parker. <clears throat> I think, you know, it's something to be thought about at least, you know. Um, <clears throat> the only thing else that I was going to say, Joe, is that um, big fan. And I have to say that uh, to everyone listening, I have um, said some detrimental. You know, I've said some negative things about Joe on uh, Twitter um, before. And I and I, I have apologized. You, you and you and literally everybody else in this spaces. It's it's OK, Joe. And no, listen, Joe, and, and I, you know, I've, I've apologized directly to you about that. Um, but I just want to say, listen, man, you got a great voice and you're very insightful. And um, this is the first time I've ever heard your voice, by the way. Um, I've never, I haven't listened to the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast, I guess. I just listened to, uh, you know, Grind City Media or whatever and and GP and the guys. But, um, but man, hey, listen, I, I, I think you're awesome. Well, thank you, Joey. Positivity, living up to the name. I appreciate that. I, yeah, I, uh, and, and I'll just go say, go, go Grizzlies, and I, you know, I hope we can close it out next game. <clears throat> and if not, whatever. Like, I really like the trajectory of this team and, and, and the chemistry of this team, and um, I love how the city is just really, really, man. 
I was so happy last night. I just have to say, I was, I watched it alone. I, I'm living in Little Rock, Arkansas now. I'm from Memphis, okay. born and raised. But um, watched it alone at home in my apartment, and I was screaming. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have three kids upstairs that were asleep, so I wasn't able to yell. But I was pretty excited at fist pumping myself and and all those things. Joey, I appreciate you, buddy. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully you'll keep following along with GBB and maybe listen to some more podcasts in the future. Uh, obviously, Grind City Media and uh, 92.9, they do awesome work. I'm not going to fault you for that. But um, thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. And uh, thanks for chiming in on the spaces. Hey, awesome, Joe. Go Grizz. All right. Thank you, buddy. All right. Let's see here. We've got Ground Towel Central. The Ground Towel Central is next in line to speak here. Um, I'm curious, Brown Towel Central, uh, what would you like to discuss on GBB Live? This What's episode? up, guys? Yeah, I, uh, I wanted to ask if, if we have an update on, on Zaire's injury. Ooh, that is a good question. I'll be honest, I haven't heard or seen anything today. I just checked the PR uh, Parker... account and didn't see anything. But, yeah, I'm wondering what where those minutes are going to go if, if we just kind of absorb those into the core guys or if. You know, we try to play Melton again, give him another stint, or maybe I, I would love to see Jitty get get a little little spot in there. Maybe uh, maybe can provide a spark off the bench with some shooting. I don't think he's going to swing the game by any means, but uh, you know that we saw the power of the three ball last night. No, that's exactly right. I think that's fair. Uh, Parker, have you heard anything on the Zaire Williams front? Because I have not yet today. Um, so we should probably hear something from the PR account, uh, probably like either about five o'clock tomorrow or 24 hours before when the game is scheduled. Well, and I'm sure the team will it. practice tomorrow. Uh, I think no, I don't, not. I, just they're got, not practicing because they must be traveling. No, no, okay. Just got word on that. They're not they're okay. traveling tomorrow. So they had a, gotcha. a pure off day today. Um, but I, I mean, I, he might just have knee soreness. Be there, you know how they are with their soreness injuries. Sure. But I mean, Zaire didn't necessarily look all, all up to speed on playoff minutes most of the time. Personally, I mean, it's game six. Absorb the, those minutes into your core guys. Obviously, they they've showed that they could swing games with a small lineup of John Morant, Tyus Jones, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark. If those Zaire minutes just go to Tyus Jones, that's perfectly fine with me because he's been awesome this series. Um, you can try Melton. Uh, he hasn't, like, it's one of those things where like, he's been fine everywhere else but hasn't really done a whole lot of, like, do something kind of stuff. And the fact that he's not shooting the ball well kind of just, like, overshadows all of that. Um, I, I agree with you there that, you know, JD and playoff minutes could be fun. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's game six. Play your best, guys. Yeah, it's, it's got to come from the yeah. stars. And they will have had another two days off. Like And like Parker mentioned a moment ago, they had a legitimate day off today where they did nothing. Um, they're traveling tomorrow, and as Parker mentioned, uh, on their travel days, they don't do media, understandably so. So you won't get access to Jenkins until the walkthrough or the, uh, the shoot-around, uh, if there is one for them on Friday. And even if there isn't, the injury report around 5 o'clock Central – uh, as Parker said, will be roughly when we get an update on Zaire. I'm I'm firmly in the camp of it's game six. You had two days off. You play seven dudes. That, that's kind of where I'm at. If you need to play Conchar, if you need to play Melton, um, 
you can. I, I'm not going to argue against Conchar at this stage because Melton's been that bad in this series. But one of those guys should be the guy. But I'm not going to lose any sleep if Conchar and Melton are DNPCDs. This is game six. You are expected to win this series. It would be a disappointment if you didn't. I think Jenkins needs to ride with his best dudes and make sure that they are getting the job done. Thank you, Growtal Central. I appreciate you chiming in and listening. Let's go to Jay Boomad uh, at D underscore E underscore Z underscore Z underscore. That's a very intense uh, handle and name. Uh, but how are you doing? What do you want to talk about on GBB Live? Bang. Um, nice. Nice to, t- nice to chat with you, Dad. All right. Uh, what I wanted to discuss um, about the matchup with Minnesota, and I knew it coming in, was they are the number one or two team scoring first quarter, and we're one or two. I, I forget how it goes, but we're the best two scoring first quarter teams. So I kind of knew coming into this series that for two young teams that have that, that somebody would have to, you know, win out with that war. I think in this series is interesting because Memphis has essentially turned into a second and fourth quarter team. Um, that's when we go on our real runs. And that's what we've been doing, you know, the last four or five games. Uh, another thing with, with Cat, um, I noticed that the more we turn him into a decision maker, the better it works in our favor. He's very turnover prone when he has to make a decision with the ball. And uh, I read an uh, interview he did where he said uh, Kevin Garnett told him just make his passes simple. So what that told me is he can't really read defenses and make, you know, the good pass like Jokic would. Uh, He needs to make the very simple pass. And a lot of times after he picks it up above his head, it's a guaranteed turnover. So I I think that's something interesting going into game six. Uh, I think everybody looking at Jaron, is like we're all scratching our head, but I can't help but think like since he got to the league, he plays way smaller than he physically is. Um, he he tends to even rebound with like a, a crotch in it, um crotched over almost. Like it's everything that Jaron needs to do has to be worked on in the off season. We can't fix it in the playoffs, right? So, um, you know, we, we gotta. He kind of is who he is for now until the off season, in my opinion. Um, just looking at, uh, as far as Adams, I think people should keep in mind that the reason our half-court offense is not as efficient is because Steven Adams isn't there. And there are three main components that he brings to our offense, and that's the screens, that is his playmaking ability, which we just found out he had this year, and it is basically being there to be the buffer for Jock physically. Because he's a lot more he's a lot more prone to go into the paint with confidence when Adams is out there, opposed to when Brandon Clark, who doesn't really sit set that solid screen, he just sits slip screens and rolls. Um yeah, that's that's what I'm like. Adams missing on offense is really kind of to me why this series has gone the way it has and i think it's kind of ingenious the way uh minnesota has just used cat at the top of the key but i love the dylan brooks aspect because cat seems hell bent on being a perimeter player at least for this juncture in his career so as long as he's going to do that people with quicker foot speed that can beat him to the spot seem to be his biggest uh kryptonite so i love taylor jenkins taking that page out of ty Lue's book 
Um, but I I just would love to see Adams get on that court when Reed is out there. When Nas Reed hits the floor, I I just think Adams would just eat him a lot. Like he would him and Tyus like against a Nas Reed and McLaughlin. I that's what I wanted to see. Like Adams can play. I just don't think it's gonna be when Cat's out there. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's really fair at this stage. Really good points there, Desmond. Thank you for chiming in on the uh, on the podcast here. I was really impressed with that, actually. Lots of good information, and I think that you nailed it in terms of Adams being missed offensively, which sounds kind of counterproductive to say because his usage rate is so low, but he does all those things that help other players be successful. He really is the perfect fit for this current iteration of the Memphis Grizzlies. Let's go to Jack Lachlan uh, at Jack Lag 2 Jack Lock, excuse me, O2 on Twitter is his handle. Uh, Jack, welcome to GBB Live. What would you like to talk about? Jack, are you there? Oh, yeah, sorry. I didn't hear you for a sec. It's Take okay. Um, anyway, I kind of had two main questions, and then I guess there can be a discussion after. Um, the first of which has sure. to do with the closing lineup. Last night, obviously, it was a lineup we hadn't really seen all too much of with uh, Tyus job playing together and then Brooks being at the four. Um, that'd be interesting just to see moving forward. Obviously it worked pretty well. Um, you know, the caveat there being kind of Beverly fouled out near the end of it, but I think that'd still just be very interesting. Um, Clark would really just have to work the boards though. Um, that's my one issue with that is I feel like that would just put a lot of pressure on him on the interior. Um, and then the other question I had mainly has to do with Jaron. Obviously, he's been a big topic of conversation with foul trouble. Um, I, I've thought this kind of since going into last game, um, just getting him more engaged offensively um, in a way that's kind of safer. Um, I know he's not really a back-to-the-basket player, but I've thought just first possession or two, throw it down to him in the deep post and let him go up against Towns, whether it's a foul on Towns or he gets a bucket or even just gets a shot up. Um hoping that gets him more engaged in the game to where defensively now, maybe his feet are moving a little bit faster. Um, maybe he's playing with his hands up a little bit more so he's not having to reach as much. Um, you know, that, that that's something I think that could possibly help him is just getting him an easy look on the inside um, early on. And then the bonus of that would be cat fouls a lot too. Um, and so possibly getting him emotional in a game that's obviously going to be high intensity for them. Uh, if he picks up an early foul or two, that'd be huge. So those are just my two kind of questions. First about, uh, you know, that lineup we saw, and then secondly kind of how to get Jaron involved early in games offensively and the dividends that could pay defensively. Thank you for the questions. I think that's uh, that's a lot to, to digest there, a lot of good things to think about, and, and I appreciate you listening as well, Jack. Uh, Parker, I guess we can tackle the second part first in terms of how to get Jaron going early. I think that Jaron at this stage of his career, especially offensively, really wants to be a perimeter-based player. I would treat him like that more, Parker. I would have him coming off of screens, almost doing some similar things to what Desmond Bain does. Obviously, Bain is smaller and can move a little bit more quickly, but I think that letting Jaron find his offensive rhythm might enable him to be in a position to be more engaged defensively. I'm not saying that's the way it should be, but I do think that is something that might be worth trying. I, I can't remember off the top of my head in these last five games, Jaron getting going, being a priority on the offensive end. 
I mean, with with that, you know, getting him going offensively early, like for example, I mean, with the way Desmond Bain's playing, like, can you blame Jenkins if he's trying to get his three point shooter going? No, no, but, that's fair. But, but also too, like, it, it feels like one of those things where it doesn't really matter what. Jaron tries to do to get going or what Taylor Jenkins tries to do when he gets going when when Jaron's just going to pick up two, easy, two quick fouls easily. Like, do you... I'm trying to think of different ways you can kind of, like, tackle it. Do you... And is it, even, is it even worth it in the grand scheme of trying to develop game plan when you, like, uh, I, I think it might have been DeMichael said it in the first segment, you can't trust him to stay on the floor. So That's how in, how like, invested are you going to be in setting up scheme and trying to put sets together that are going to get him in a rhythm? Say he does get in a rhythm. Say he hits two threes, and obviously that's two threes that Memphis would benefit from having in their pocket. But at the same time, then he gets in foul trouble anyway, and you lose a big part of that rhythm, and you kind of have to start all over with a Bane or another player that maybe will be out there more consistently. Yeah, and another idea that I had, well, like, so what if kind of like how what Finch did with Cat last night, where Cat picked up two easy quick ones, but Finch stuck to his rotation. You know, he's been a guy that's been very big on not trying to quote unquote foul out his own guys. So what if you just kind of stick to your your rotation a little bit? If you still had Jarrett come out like instead of like three minutes left in this first quarter, why don't have him come out already like five minutes into the first? or into the first quarter. Because then it's like, okay, Jaron's mentally like, because you can kind of see where sometimes he picks up a foul and he knows he's coming out of the game. Give him that confidence saying, hey, we're not going to pull you out after your second foul. Go play your game and we will handle it if you end up picking up a third in the first quarter. At that point, it's like, okay, that's not on Taylor for leaving him in. That's on Jaron for picking up that third. Why don't you just give them the confidence that you're going to stick to your rotations in that first quarter, regardless of his foul trouble, to see if you can just, like, ignite some confidence in him? Because right now he just doesn't look like he's all that confident on either side of the ball. Right. I think that trying to get him into that position of confidence is what matters most. It seems like he's lost some of that swagger, some of that that self-belief. If only Dylan Brooks could give him some, right? If only Dylan could impart some of that wisdom onto Jaron, then uh, then maybe that would uh, get him rolling. Nobody was more confident shooting three for 18 last night than Dylan Brooks. Uh, but Dylan Brooks did a great job defensively on Carl Anthony Towns. He was also strong defensively in other areas. Uh, Dylan was valuable to Memphis despite his uh, his low shooting numbers. And he did make his buckets and timely uh, occasions, if we're being fair. Last uh, request here for this episode of GBB Live, George Beningus. George Benigus. Uh, I'm sure George will correct me on that. Hopefully he does. George, thank you for listening. Thanks for uh, requesting to chime in here on the podcast. What would you like to discuss with Parker and I? Show that he's connecting still. Oh, okay. It says speaker for me, um, but maybe he's still connecting. Uh, I'm going to put you on remove from speakers, George. By all means, ask to do it again, and we'll try it one more time. Um, maybe just go out of the spaces and then come back in. It says you can no longer speak. Hopefully it's not that intense. I'm still learning spaces. I'm sorry. Um, but anyway, uh, hopefully George is able to get back in. If not, 
Sorry. Uh, thanks for listening, George. Uh, Parker, any uh, takeaways? You predicted Grizz in six uh, from the very beginning. I was Grizz in five. Obviously, that did not happen. Uh, you said Grizz up. Oh, there's George. Hold on. Let's let's try George one more time. George is connecting. George is in. George, are you there? Are you with me? Ah, I'm sorry, George. It looks like it may not be in the cards tonight. Thank you for listening, though, George. I appreciate you uh, for chiming in, and hopefully we'll have a chance to do this again. Um, the Grizzlies won't get eliminated, and we'll have an opportunity to be able to, uh, to, to do another spaces before I, I depart GBB. Um, Parker, sorry to cut you off there a moment ago. You predicted Grizz in six. Uh, it looks like that feels the, the energy is going towards that. But Minnesota has outplayed Memphis for a majority of the series. Do you see the Grizzlies being able to knock off the Timberwolves in this decisive game six? I'm going to be quite emphatic here and say absolutely. Um, absolutely, because, folks. Absolutely. That's right. And that's mainly because it's one of those things where it's not like the Grizzlies like were like all out, urgency completely locked in, and they just flat lose. A lot of the times – I got to give credit to Minnesota. They're a good freaking basketball team. But at the same time, the Grizzlies are defeating themselves in a way because you can see that they're not as locked in as they have been over the course of that 56-win season that they just had. So I think if the Grizzlies are – and even Joss said it in postgame. It's like, y'all saw what happens when we stay locked in and we start strong. Y'all saw that in game two. And I I kind of stand with him in that regard where – I think this team's going to be locked in from the jump. They're going to take advantage of rest. John Morant found his legs. Uh, I think he's he's going to be locked in, and you know, I, I just I just think that they're going to do the job. I think if they can jump out to a good old lead in the first half, I, I can see Minnesota kind of just waving the white flag at some point in the second half. I just think this team is going to be locked in and really trying to put this team away, kind of stop playing with their food there and just move on to the next round. Memphis was in the same position that Minnesota is in a year ago. And I think that the Timberwolves have just been in that position more effectively than the Grizzlies were credit to them for that. They have played their style of ball in the way that they wanted to execute their game plan better than Memphis has, but Memphis is the better team. And I think that you're exactly right, Parker. I think they're going to go into Minnesota with the goal of this is it, it's over, it's done, it's time to put the foot on the throat. I think that this is going to be a growing opportunity for the Grizzlies uh, in that manner, being able to put somebody away and finish something and uh, and move on to the next round. Uh, a probable matchup, I haven't checked the score if they're playing right now, uh, between the Nuggets and the Warriors. Are they playing at the moment, Parker, as we record this? They're about to tip off in oh, there you go. minutes with their brand-new starting lineup of Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. Oh, my God. That's kind of scary. That um, is I, terrifying. I, I'm interested to see how that plays out. That's going to be a uh, uh, either really good or really bad for the Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic there. Obviously, uh, Draymond's done a good job on Jokic. But anyway, I digress. Likely the Golden State Warriors – a series that Memphis will have home court advantage in, but I think probably half of folks at least will pick the Warriors to win. So they'll be able to regain some of that underdog energy and claim that people don't believe in them. Uh, That wasn't the case in this series. They were the heavy favorite. Uh, I think they've had trouble dealing with that to an extent. 
but I think the time has come for them to to put put the flame out on the Timberwolves and and Minnesota can go into the offseason saying, hey, we're actually pretty good. We can do this and seeing if that's actually the case, because that's exactly what the Grizzlies said to themselves this time last year. Uh, Parker, thank you for joining me on this episode of GB Live. As always, I'm excited for next week's episode. Uh, You made a friend there in Memphis who came and visited and and did some work uh, for a certain website for a few days while she, while she was there and she's going to be on our show next week. Very excited for that. Yeah. You know, just always kind of trying to grow the network here, Joe. You're doing a good job of it. You're doing a good job of it, my friend. Well, thank you, Parker, for all you're doing for the site. Thank you to DeMichael Cole. Thank you to Drew Hill. Thank you to Sharon Brown. Thank you to everybody that's chimed in on the show this week. It is much appreciated. I like doing these on spaces. I need to get better at them and, and not having people get cut out when they shouldn't be. Uh, but otherwise, it's good to be able to interact with folks in this way. Good to do the podcast in this manner. We'll be sure to get one more of these in uh, before uh, the playoffs are over. So for Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flocka, I'm Joe Mullinax, at Joe Mullinax. Subscribe, rate, review the GBB Podcast Network, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, iHeart. However you listen to a podcast, you can get GBB Live starting five long view with Parker Fleming, of course, three and D with Ben Hogan, get in on our podcast network and stick with grizzlybearblues.com for all your Memphis Grizzlies coverage as the playoffs continue for Parker. I'm Joe. Thank you all so much for listening. Grind forth Grizz nation. This is Grizzly bear blues live.